sound. So I'm Harry Ovington, composer and sound artist. Um, predominantly have been living in the, up in the northwest near Manchester, but as of this year, back down on the sunny south coast, which is nice. And mainly working with field recordings and environmental data um, and looking at ways of basically combining materials in data and field recordings uh, to extend soundscapes. So you can basically hear environmental... Mm, I'm hesitant to say issues, because it's not just issues. I like to focus on the positive as well, but processes. Okay, well, I'd just like to have a sort of mini historical overview, really, because uh, uh, I know we chatted a, a few months back about how you got interested in, in sound art. I'd love to know how it began for you, what fired you up. To, to take this path? Because if I remember rightly, you weren't totally brilliant at, uh, uh, at music at school, were you? <laughs> no, no. So I've always played guitar um, badly. Um, but um, uh, yeah, I wasn't, I was pretty, di- well, I wasn't disinterested at school, but we did a music tech module um, or A-level uh, that sort of inspired me in the wrong way. I liked mucking about with computers and um and softwares more than i think the main assignment was to do an all midi cover of the look of love the abc song oh yeah <laughs> and that wasn't really speaking to me at the time i love the song now but um 
Yeah, so and then um, wasn't going to go to university at all. Um, completely chastised my friends that were going for going. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> two weeks into being um, on a cliched gap year type thing, I uh, spoke to a friend who was also not going to uni and ended up going to uh, university at Central Lancashire. The story was that his mum had said you can either go through clearing or she'd found him an um, apprenticeship in making dentures. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so he was like, okay, I'll go and do music production up in Preston. Uh, so yeah, I just chatted to him and thought, actually, that sounds pretty good. It, was, uh, it sounded, he was really praising it because it was nothing like school. It wasn't trapped into... Yeah, maybe covers of Trevor Horn songs and um, <laughs> yeah, just about, and had fired over me about four or five different albums that the lecturer had reeled off in the first in the first lecture, and just sort of like devoured those. Uh, really enjoyed it, so just thought well, I'd go up there with him when I got back. So the year after, I went up with him, did that. Um, he's like a lifelong friend, and then after that got really interested in, I basically got interested in anything the stuff that attracted me was like not non-input music but soundscapes so I just got really interested in abstract composition and because it seemed more accessible to me with no theoretical knowledge obviously there is I now realize there's tons there's of different lots, yes <laughs> yeah uh, which is bit but that's kind of been the stuff that's spoken to me and I've enjoyed learning that theory um as opposed to as opposed to the more traditional stuff. Um, so yeah, when I graduated, I moved to uh, University of Manchester and did a master's in uh, electroacoustic composition, and then carried straight on to do a PhD there, which is what I'm at the end of now. And I think that's just an amazing journey to go from somebody who wasn't really fired up by uh, music tech at school to be now doing a PhD <laughs> in composition. Have I got that right? Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what it is. Yeah, I think, and there's not that there's anything wrong with school, because uh, funnily enough, I'm part-time back at that school now, um, as you know. As a teacher. <laughs> yeah, and I think the courses are great, and um, like half of it makes me wish I'd like engaged a bit more with it but at the same time i think it's just like luck of the draw what you get inspired by and what you do yeah i was inspired by making music on the computer there um i found some of it recently actually on that on the same computer in the same building and it was awful <laughs> still <there. laughs> yeah yeah that's brilliant yeah, it was all these jungle drums that sort of like 200 BPM. So it was listening to that kind of sort of dance music, was it, that really got you into uh, the technical side of it? Yeah, I guess, that was another switch around. Was when I was at school, I absolutely hated electronic music with a passion. I couldn't, wow, I couldn't understand it at all. Um, and then I don't really know what. I think it's when Syro came out, the Aphex Twin album. It was yeah. like the first, um, like pop culture event of electronic music that I was aware of mm. and old enough to be aware of. Uh, that would have been the first year I was in Preston as well. Um, so probably a bit more aware of that kind of music. And you got into it? You found yourself enjoying the album? Yeah, yeah. I think I had a slippery slope of electronic music with a few a few albums that I've been recommended in the first week or the first week of my friend being there. 
uh, was Another Green World, the Brian Eno album. Oh, yeah, classic. And then, ashamedly, I've always been a massive Chili Peppers fan. And the guitarist in particular, when he left the last time, he um, left to make electronic music, weirdly, all this acid house. I didn't know that. How interesting. Yeah, he had an alias, or has an alias, called Trick Finger. Um, And the early stuff is, is a mixed bag. He did some electronic avant-garde albums under the, his name, John Vicente, uh, that are sort of like tricky. They're like <laughs> probably something in the same vein as Trout Mask Replica and okay. those, yeah, but electronic. Um, but then, yeah, so that was kind of like my, I kind of got into whatever he released, which was, that was a progression in itself with these like abstract electronic records. And then, um, it went into like Acid House and then through into IDM. So I kind of like followed his album right. release cycle to get into electronic music. Um, so what a great journey! What a great journey of exploration you've had within this. Because now, presumably, you're sort of because you're doing a research degree now, a hmm. PhD. You haven't get, getting presumably having to listen to a lot more of the uh, uh, artworks if you like Sonic Art and. Um, uh, presumably soundscape composition. I mean, uh, do you do a lot of listening as part of your, your research? I do. I do a lot of listening um, and definitely part of the part of the research. But I, I always feel guilty that my listening isn't like necessarily directed at what I'm doing. But I think it is in a weird way. I saw, and some of it seems like really strange and cheesy to say, a bit like mentioning the Chili Peppers in a Mm-hmm. podcast about um <laughs> soundscape music but but at the same time i think i think i like uh not necessarily them as a good example but i'll get inspiration from just people that are just like really into doing what they're doing whether it's like david lynch making a you know inland empire by himself like a completely yeah. crazy movie with no funding or backing or any real reason to make it or um at the minute i would like really listening to a lot of like 70s spiritual jazz stuff and i think i just like that i think i like it when you can hear or see that people are committed so i I always feel guilty that i'm not like listening or watching relevant things but i think it is relevant (laughs) in a weird way well it's good to cast the net widely isn't it yeah yeah but but i do listen to yeah like i do listen to field recordings uh and soundscape stuff so is that what your PhD is about? Do tell me a bit more about it. Does it got like a theme that unites it all together? Because it's mostly around, structured around compositions, isn't it? Yeah, so it was, it was completely centred around try, basically trying to extend soundscape music, really. Like I, I liked, I love soundscape music and I liked the, again, like the, the more abstract theories of, okay, we want to raise ecological awareness. How do we do that? Are we records the whole of the soundscape of vancouver uh in that project mm-hmm. and things like planes going over or anything like that would obscure the soundscape is a detail like that has a bit more nuance to it and a bit of a metaphor so i liked the idea of that but i also really liked um there's a couple of composers at the when i was doing my masters at the department in the university they were doing their phds and one uh, completely crazy um, PhD proposal was this guy who'd come over from doing a master's in chemistry and he was sonifying molecular structures okay. of yeah. things and he did a 
it wasn't really environmentally based, but there was one piece where he'd been on residency somewhere and um, and basically seen a, a beach in Finland, I think, completely like mobbed with plastic trash, basically and <laughs> completely polluted. So he went. He, so the piece that I saw that I got inspired by was he'd gone into the molecular structure of I don't understand it, but plastic and composed pieces with field recordings from that residency and all this. So I got in excited about that mixture. And I think that links a bit back to the David Lynch thing as well, of like the mixture of like the mundane, not to call soundscapes mundane, but if it, if you could, and then this weird, abstract, um, sinister side <laughs> um, that you can weave in. So, uh, so, the, so my proposal was I wanted to ext- use sonification to manipulate field recordings and it's all about sort of like um listener recognition or like transcending that so that you can take materials and take away nearly all of the things that make them recognizable but if you presented them as being recognizable in the first place then you kind of got that link and they sit within the soundscape
really, really interesting to hear that. Yeah, thank you. And but but one one of the things you just touched on there was the environmental focus of a lot of your work recently. And I, I wondered what what inspired you to do that to take sort of more environmental take on on the whole composition uh, approach. Well, the glib answer would be to just make sure I was having nice days out recording and walking, <laughs> and which is part of it. Um, but I've always, I've always, without sounding too cliche, I've always been like an outdoorsy guy. Enjoyed swimming and uh, surfing, and and um, I've obviously got like a great deal from it as well. Um, without really realizing, it, you know, mm. like it's just an intuitive thing as a kid to, I guess, want to go skateboarding or do whatever you're doing. Um, so I guess it was, yeah, in a cheeky way, it was just like, oh, I could sort of kill two birds, not that you should be saying that in an environmental podcast, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was just like a natural thing. And it was like, uh, it was like a nice thing of like two dots in, um, my life that I enjoyed activities and outdoor activities that is, and, um, music and then listening to some of the music that already connected those dots was really inspiring. So it was just, that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. A bit of a, just a natural thing to come across, I guess. Oh, lovely that you're able to combine these interests then in that way. Yeah. Um, and w- one of the things also really struck me was the way that you sort of branded your website. So you're using this term sonic rewilding, which really, really struck me. I thought that sounded fabulous. So maybe you could just say a little bit more about what sonic rewilding is. Yeah, so it was. I was super inspired in lockdown. I think I was late to the party in reading uh, Feral, the George Monbiot book, um, but just kind of got inspired. I didn't know about rewilding until that book, probably shamefully, but just got inspired about the like seemingly small actions you could take or I could take. But, and then that idea of like the trophic cascade of like it just affects, you know, it just a chain reaction that can end up in quite a big change basically over an amount of years or weeks or whatever it is. Um, so I just kind of got interested in thinking about music and my music like that. And I think that with the, the intention of, with my PhD and, the, and some of the work before that has always been like this ecological awareness. Um, so I just got interested in things like, um, geolocated maps for audio mm. and stuff like that and and different tools um and engage and um, using music for engagement and workshops and things like that about not necessarily some of it's been like directly rewilding like plotting a map of the sound of bees and getting people to play it to flower beds um okay. and things like that but more just like the re- the broader sense of rewilding by just hopefully getting people to sit down and listen to a soundscape or a mixture of soundscape and acousmatic work. Okay, so you're hoping, therefore, to use sound to help people rewild themselves? Is that part of the idea, or or are you rewilding the actual sounds? Um, I think probably a little, hopefully a little bit of both. Um, There is instances where I'm, based on research, saying, come along to this workshop and play this out to a file bed, and it's got based on this article it's got a chance of repopulating or attracting more bees or or the flowers producing more nectar or, or anything like that but but yeah probably in a like a broader way of and uh, i'm not i'm tr- i'm not trying too hard to be 
uh, like a poster child for um, saying, get out there and, and do this. This probably, again, like going back to that glib thing of just having a nice day, it's probably more about writing about the experiences I've had. And because that's what I like to read as well as sort of um, not travel books, but things like that. Mm. And I just sort of like it. If I read about somebody else's nice experience with something or negative experience with something, it kind of that's what gets me up off my feet to go and like, oh, I'm going to go and most the most recent big project which I haven't put out yet is a wild swimming thing. Oh, great! Or blue space thing. Really, it wasn't. It started off as wild swimming, but it's branched out into loads of different things about blue spaces. Um, but yeah, just I think just to I'm hoping just to write things that kind of music and text to go with it um, that has a bit of poignancy to at least a few people hopefully and mm. gets people out do it you know doing the things that other people have inspired me to get out and go and do fantastic okay uh, and uh, one of the other things I wanted to discuss briefly was around your approaches that you use in your composition and mm. you already just touched on um, sonification as an approach even going back to that guy with his uh, molecular structures that oh, inspired yeah. you. But um, it's one of the threads that runs through quite a lot of your work, isn't it? The idea of sonifying the environment. So could you say a little bit about how you go around about doing that? Yeah, so I think what I've come to realise about doing that is it's less about, a, like, a, sonification sounds like a big, the science side of music and might bring up, like, that, live coding you know everybody's been to a live coding gig mm. with bleeps and bloops and things like that but that's not really what interests me it was more about the connecting material so if i'm looking at um like the first piece i did in this sort of way uh, i wanted to look at eutrophication big balloons of to- toxic algae up in the lake district and i found um in Ruskin's old estate, he has a they have a replica of this big lithophone, which is a tuned instrument made of made of the slate from around there. It's oh, like yes, a marimba. I think I've heard of that. Yeah, <clears throat> it's like a marimba in mm. the way it looks, or a xylophone or glockenspiel, but it's made out of slate. So, and then I kind of got the idea of like, okay, well, if I have all this data that proves that eutrophication is happening there, and it happens because these pollutants run off the landscape um then there's this instrument which embodies the landscape because it's made out of it and it's that's like the musical bridge so it's it was about connecting materials of being like okay here's the landscape and musical form in these recordings and here's the data and then what can i do with those record with those two that like it like i was saying extends the soundscapes
So you're using this, the the data to manipulate the field recordings, or yeah. in this case, the uh, uh, the marimba. But in um, in ways that like reflect the process, hopefully. So if we're talking about pollutants running off the land, then I might use a granular synthesis patch and some of that data to create these like descending pitches or or in like filtering, like filter down to just low end frequencies um, with those ramps of data. They're basically using it as like a modulation source, um, right? which at the beginning I enjoyed just doing completely randomly. I liked, they have to do a bit of scaling and stuff like that, but I enjoyed just like putting in the data set when I got home, putting in the recordings and then hitting play and just like just listening see what to happens. it. Yeah. yeah, which I still do a lot of that. But I think that's my main process and then resampling out of those recordings. Because it's, it's a nice way of like continued listening, I think, because like spend that, that, I try and do it all on the same day mostly because um, you spend the whole day or part of the day out field recording and listening to the soundscape there and it's like a nice way of coming home and if yeah you're sat next to all this algae that you can't hear yeah um then you can come home and in a way listen to it and but i think yeah i like the randomness and i've like come across this term entropy recently which has some sort of thermodynamic meaning that i don't understand that's a pretty complicated thing entropy (laughs) yeah yeah massively but it, but it does kind of, I think, speak to the way I create systems for composition because I know what I'm going to record. I know where I'm going. I know why I'm going there. I know what data I'm using. And then I kind of know the patching I'm doing. Um, and then, I, and then part, that part, a big part of it is just listening back to that patch as it records, sometimes for over an hour or something like that. And then going through a process of resampling uh, that and just composing intuitively to it as well like taking par- right. parts of it and also not being locked which is something i struggled with is not being locked to it um and just being able to switch on a synthesizer because it's what the piece needs or mm. um something like that so yeah that was the, that entropy thing is kind of i think what i'm trying to achieve with the sonification is just like a a bit of the some some new content I couldn't have got out of. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Any other way, with, apart from combining those elements? Are you hoping then that the listener will, in some way, hear then what's happening to the environment through the sonification process? Maybe become more aware of these environmental issues. Not really explicitly through the music, because I like things to be abstract. I don't like going back to movies. Uh, I get a bigger myself get a bigger emotional response from something. A good example was like I really was enjoying that. It's fairly old now, but I was enjoying that uh, movie Vanilla Sky with Tom Cruise in it. Do you know this? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of, it's, I can't remember really what, if it was good or not, but I remember I was enjoying it because it was ambiguous. And then at the end, I can't remember who the British actor is. He turns up and basically spends 20 minutes explaining every, and then he did this, and then you did this, and then you thought this. And it just completely ruined. So I, just, I don't want to. You don't want it to be too literal. You want it to be a bit no. enigmatic. Yeah. No, and I'm like, I'm lucky, and I don't really know where this sits like uh, after I finish my PhD, but I'm lucky that I've been able to rely on having program notes, whether it's in concerts or um, 
exhibitions that I've had commissioned and stuff like that. So I like a bit of program note. I mean, hopefully it'll always be up to me that I can have program notes because I like to give a bit of information, um, environmental information, and then it's more about like emotional response and right. music's pretty good for that. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, I'd love to just uh, talk through a few of the pieces you've worked on. Presumably some yeah. of these are um, maybe informing your, your PhD, I don't know. But you mentioned the, uh, the eutrophication of Lake Windermere, which was about the, um, the algae and so on, that you mm. include the sonification. But you also did one on, on Manchester, Utopolis Manchester, which was <laughs> around a, a different approach to sonification, this time around air pollution data. So yeah. I was fascinated by that because, of course, I'm from Manchester myself, so I was delighted you'd been up there and uh, <laughs> uh, studied there and also done a piece dedicated to it. So how did that turn out? So that was, it's a funny one because it was a commission to work with um, a German arts collective called Rimini Protocol. And it was this big citywide um multi-channel multi-speaker thing basically where groups of people across the city with different uh those mini rig speakers um and they sort of um accumulated in groups and speakers as the walk over the city went went through various venues and things like that but the idea was um utopia they it was about getting them to engage in their thoughts on utopia and there was scripted bits that sort of prompted them to do that and i think a few bits where the speakers even told them to uh to write things down about their ideas and workshop ideas and things like that but um so i was approached to do that and i was looking at air i'd just done the algae water pollution one and i was looking into air pollution and i think they liked the idea Basically, in our first sort of chats, I said that I would, they were asked what I was up to, and I said, "Oh well, I'm actually personally struggling with the air in the city. <laughs> it's mm, uh, yeah, not that I was living in pristine air before, but I think I was made aware of it, and so maybe it was placebo, but I thought it, but I thought it was affecting me, um, which I'm sure it was, but I thought I could notice it affecting me. Yeah. Um, so, and they were kind of interested in that juxtaposition of. Um, some of the sonic material being manipulated by because it's the juxtaposition of bad air and people talking about yeah. u- utopia, utopia, literally yeah. using the air, the bad air, to talk about utopia. And quite a lot of people's responses were about environmental change and um, Manchester's particularly grey and not green. I think they've they're just opening this park this year. It's the yeah, first. Well, they've got rid of a lot of their parks, haven't they, in the middle, which is just tragic. Yeah, yeah. But I think there's this one opening in September, not long now. Um, I think that's the first city centre green space they've built in over 150 years or something. Yeah, so the, the piece that I ended up doing, so the, the, this is a weird thing. There's three pieces. You've heard one of them on this there's three different iterations so there was one um for the for the commission which had all these like all this sonification and i was doing dipped into fm synthesis for it and um basically recording spaces like the the venues during the commission um and doing granular synthesis for that as well and that was all more about recording space and what we use these spaces for yeah, so the, I, I, I was pretty happy with it. That as 
it was like no fault of anybody's, but the, as it went on, the actual commissioned piece ended up being kind of more geared towards like pop music, I guess, like dance music and stuff, which I, I enjoyed and it, and I kept in my sonified elements and, and things like that. So I ended up composing the piece that you heard. That was like a tester for the commission. And uh, after that, I went back and repurposed some of it um, for my PhD. So it was more centered around soundscape. And that looked at like um, real big sort of like sound signifiers and soundscapes with bad air quality in Manchester. So a lot of traffic. Yeah. Um, and managed to get a tram horn toot in there. Oh, good stuff. Yeah, so it's an iconic sound mark for Manchester now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, or a few of them. <laughs> Which, of course, they didn't exist when I, when I lived there many years ago. Yeah. But then there was nice, nice things along the along the performances um, of like some of it was in a church down on Bond Street, I think it was. Um, right. So there was like a nice, a lot of nice recordings of people singing hymns, and that fed into what I was doing with my PhD about oh, like people people using the space and they're literally yeah. breathing this air in. And uh, so yeah, so yeah, it's a weird one because there's three different versions. Of oh, that. but it sounds so. Uh... So it's so interesting and stimulating to, you know, to, for the project to evolve in the way it did. And, yeah, and it was like the second second commission work I ever did, and it was like this big, forty eight channel, citywide thing, uh, MIF, and it. So it was really daunting, and it was a good, good learning experience. Of like, it was like a heavily workshopped production of like we did the walk more times than you like care to remember and lots of sitting in big boardrooms afterwards yeah, it was fun it was fun i was stressed with it at the time but it, looking back it was fun and you did another one focusing on manchester didn't you this wild chorus one which i think you did in in lockdown which was around again uh using i think recordings of birds and the dawn chorus 
um, but again with uh, with a sonification element, wasn't there? With with weather this time. Yeah, so it was, that was a funny one. Um, that wasn't focused on Manchester. It was for Manchester Museum. Oh yeah, right. Sorry. And so I'd um, just been out in lockdown. I was living in Todmorden, um, which is like West Yorkshire, um, in the valley out there. Um, and basically just used lockdown, um, a real good time just for field recording. And I was out on nice, nice ventures, all safe and COVID compliant, obviously, but there was nobody around. So yeah, I was recording and I was recording the dawn chorus at one point. And, um, back then I was pretty good at posting things to social media, which I'm less good at now. So they got in contact and they were just, they were interested in the dawn chorus specifically, I didn't really know what I wanted to focus on because I didn't really fancy kicking people while they were down, like stuck in, if it was Manchester, if the audience predominantly was Manchester, I didn't want to do another like, oh, isn't your air quality terrible whilst I'm out <laughs> in the, in the countryside mean, yeah. and you're stuck in there. So it was like the idea, and I don't know how successful of an element to the composition that was, but it was just more about like a time capsule thing, I guess. And, and sometimes I like that with my work as well. Like some of the work I'm doing at the minute, it adds a time reference, uh, which I think is poignant to people because they're like, oh, okay, he was out for a week doing this. Well, there was something week. very specific going on, wasn't there, in lockdown with these birds being far more audible than they, than they normally yeah. are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've and, captured um, that then in the recordings. Yeah, and, the, and, I, and I like the, the weather data thing being locked to the time I was doing the the project right. which is kind of nice it may it's about like uh, yeah maybe portraying not that you can hear it but like that note in the in the program notes maybe just adds a bit more of a personal um aspect to to the experience of making it as okay that's these some of the sounds that i don't immediately recognize or understand uh, made just from elements of the environment during that time but again, I don't know how, in my mind, that works, but I don't know if it does. <laughs> well, it's, a, again, a really interesting process to work through. And, uh, and, and another one you've done, Sonification of, which, again, I was really interested in this, another key environmental issue, was the one around wind farms and bats. So yeah. I think, again, you went out there recording both the bats and the wind farms, didn't you, and then combined the two? Yeah, so it was, like again... Um, I think that started in one of the lockdowns and quite often this, uh, like, I, I, like I was saying about the personal touches in there, like these composition, I haven't, I, the Lake District one is the only one where I've sought out a problem and I've gone like, I need to go here and look at this and marry these things up. Everything else has been kind of personal experience, okay. which has triggered it. So yeah, it was um, me and my partner, Emma in lockdown, yeah, I shouldn't be too smug, but it was living out in the valley. It was, um, we didn't have the restrictions of being like, oh, being in and around people. We could sort of leave and go right up on the tops and not in, not see anybody. You know, we just walked basically all day, every day, and didn't see anybody else at all. Um, and we walked up to the wind farm just to see what it was like. And it was just incredible the amount of dead bats up there, which I didn't really, like I had no prior knowledge of anything like that and hadn't thought about ultrasonic sounds. 
in terms of working at all either. Um, but I thought it was strange. Like, oh, okay, um, there's always dead bats, and I'd seen bats before, um, but not dead ones, and not that many. I, don't, I can't think maybe how many there were, but noticeable amount. Um, and we were walking right underneath these wind turbines, which which was scary in itself as well. It was like quite a dramatic scene to be stood right to see all these dead bats yeah. um, and have these massive blades coming towards you. Um, so I just, I just sparked my interest to get home and do a bit of research and then realised it was sound-related, but like for anybody that doesn't know, it's defects or... They say it's defects in the blades, but I've just sort of come to believe that they make ultrasonic sound anyway. Oh, it's possible, yeah. Defected yeah. Did you or detect not. that? Because when you were using the ultrasonic microphone, did yeah. you the Yeah, so it was really hard to record that specifically because they're obviously generating a lot of winds. The ultrasonic mic I've got is like that you just don't want to... The point is you want to record full spectrum frequency so you don't yes. feel frequency spectrum so you don't really want to start chucking dead caps on it and, and noise reducers. So it wasn't... I could record the bats um, in and around that area, and when I was up there, I could take readings that these wind turbines were producing ultrasonic noise, but I couldn't couldn't really record it. Um, right, right. But I, rec- I mean, I went up there and recorded non-ultrasonically, just like soundscapes up there, which turned out yes. really good. Um Although it was, I turned my back for one second and a big gust of wind blew everything up, just completely smashed all my equipment. It was like start, oh, no. again. yeah, it was like start again territory. Well, buying. it was, would be in a windy place. <laughs> yeah, so it was. How annoying. Yeah, so it was like a traumatic um, project because I had to buy everything again, basically. But so yeah, that was what got me interested in doing it, and then it was doing the recordings. Um. And then the sonification, that kind of like took a more like a freer stance on it because it was I couldn't really get a hundred percent accurate and transparent data readings for that particular wind farm, and um, so I can't really remember what I what I I've managed to get some some data in it, and oh, I was also looking into sort of like using that idea of. Yeah, just trying to fish around for data that was connected. So I ended up like yeah. uh, being able to get readings of what houses were using green energy right. and what percentage of their energy was green and how much energy certain areas, uh, like certain districts around that area were using. Um, so I kind of went off that. Um, and I think I did manage to get some. There's two wind farms there. There's the... The one that I was at, which I struggled to remember the name of, and then this Scout Moor wind farm, or Moor Scout, I can't remember which way around it is, um, which is like the biggest, second largest one in Europe or something like that. Oh, which is as big as that. Wow. Um, That's huge. Yeah, so it was. So I managed to get some readings from that one, uh, which is literally just over over there on the, one of the other hills. I probably got more simplistic in patching for sonification, but more focused on actual outputs and change, changing shapes of sound. So that was a lot of um, I sort of customised a Max for Live Doppler effects to be able to yeah. um, 
spatialize audio with this data and have it move at different rates and things like that across the stereo fields. And then a bit of a bit of like audio rate sampling uh, for tiny clicks and pops in in Max MSP, which I thought sounded kind of like when you get weird sonar noises in old 70s, okay. 70s sci-fi movies, like <laughs> sub- submarines and stuff. It kind of sounded like weird Hollywood's cliche ultrasonic underwater noises so i kind of liked that so yeah it was just that was a bit of a freer i felt like i had a real solid base of an environmental issue and yeah um was getting to grips with different recording styles for the ultrasonic recording yeah very interesting technique to use there yeah yeah, and then that kind of got me into um which i guess is where our interests mainly overlap as well as like um bioacoustics because i realized you could just start surveying like doing ecological surveys with sound and various expensive softwares um well some inexpensive that don't work so well but um so yeah that's kind of what like propelled me into some of the work that i'm doing now that that i haven't put out yet um you've been using those little audio moths the little um sound recorders that you just leave out there and they're just they just yeah. record everything, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, I, I tend to use those in a funny way of like I'll I'll use it. It's not the best audio quality. It's fine yeah. the audio quality, yeah. but like just because it's quite a little mic, isn't it? On those, it's a little yeah. mic. It hasn't got the best wind cover, and but it's great for and especially with these analysis softwares, it's great for chucking it out somewhere and going, okay, what's what's here. What can I? What can I hear? Yeah. And then you kind of so so it's like a bit of research for yourself because then you're like, okay, so I'll take this mic and I'll go at this time and try and get this. But also with those analysis softwares, I use one called Kaleidoscope. You just get reams and reams of data for about frequency responses and times, and so it's almost perfect for me because it's it like completely inverts my process of like yeah um, so it does so it yeah does. so it's so a bit so i've enjoyed like a piece that i've done recently i took a load of recordings of bats up by a by a lake uh, and i wasn't there to record them because you can just leave these things out overnight which is nice um especially for bats because you don't want to spend yeah Hell's, the whole night right. somewhere where you it's can't pretty hear hardcore to stay up all night. Although quite a lot of bat fans do that, don't they? Yes. Yeah, but I mean, you can't like if you're coming out from a sound perspective, you can't hear them anyway. So it's, right. Um. So the 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 piece that um one of the pieces I'm going to play is that is just that data of that one night just driving synthesizers in Max mm. MSP again, kind of like really basic clicks and pops. I think I just like used each pulse reading from this data just to generate bursts of like square right. wave pops basically um which i've then done other stuff with i've like then put through resonators that yeah. were control and the tone was controlled by weather data that day or the temp oh, i was right. swimming Very at nice. the same time so the temperature of the water and that would kind so of you sort of end up with these layers of added meaning don't you through that process i really like that. yeah yeah and then so i just I, a big fan of just like re-sonifying stuff as well a bit like i listened to your alvin lucier episode which i really enjoyed um and a bit like definitely inspired by his processes of just re uh 
processing audio. Yeah, taking one sound and placing it in another space, then you record that and then yeah. put it in a third space. Exactly, and it just goes on and on. And, and that's yeah, definitely like linked that. back to that like artistic idea of entropy, I guess, is like you'd never get to the to the end product in any other way other than that one system that you've just been hammering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like it. Another technique that you've been using when you're in your sonic rewilding is around using duplicated sound, uh, sort of mapping sound and then making that available to people, for example, on their phones. And there was a piece you did, I think, called A Path to Shore, which involved that. But I'd love to hear a bit about your experience with with that approach. So, yeah, I I like the map for um, a bit of context. They're maps that you can plot online. Um, 
along certain paths or wherever you like, create zones that have audio in these zones. So the idea is people can go out to that location in the real world and the headphones on or the, the phone on, they can log into the site, find the map, and then they're walking that map in real time in the location. And when they enter the zones, the audio should start playing through their headphones. Um, I've been really lucky, the guy... The guy who runs Sonic Maps, there's loads of different platforms, uh, but I've, the guy who runs Sonic Maps was in the department at uni before I was, so I've been in a nice bit of contact with him and um, been able to ask him to change things and develop things, which is nice. Um, and I just, I like, I like fixed media stuff, and I don't know why. I like records and when it was a thing, CDs and just listening to something with a left and a right speaker. And I don't know why, but I'm just like a bit locked into it. And it's kind of the only bit of tech that's grabbed me. You know, I've, I've seen brilliant and I'm just showing my own naivety by saying that I've, things like VR has never clicked with me because I've seen brilliant things and I've enjoyed things. Um, but, it, but this was just like, it just seemed like a nice addition and, and a way to get people, hopefully, to go out and visit the, the space. Um, yeah, I mean, I love it. I love this approach because it's so, uh, you know, there's no infrastructure required. So as you say, you can get people out there in, in a habitat or in an exist more uh, in parts of an urban landscape, as I think you did in, in, in that piece of Path to Shore. But you're getting people out there, and then there's no there's no loudspeakers or or amplifiers or anything like that. They've just got their phones, and um, I I love that. So it's very green in a way that, that you know you're not actually using any materials apart from um, you know yeah the sounds out there in the cloud which people can access uh, yeah. Themselves. And I found it was a real good way of um, getting commissions, basically, because you could get in contact with people. Um, event organizers and basically say you don't need to worry i can install it for free and all people you know bearing in mind that you need phone signal to do it but it seemed like a real good draw for getting work commissioned as well as because it was like relatively apart from them paying you a fee hopefully it's um no costs to them and no hassle and no as long as they know that there's reception there's um no risk of it going wrong really so it's it seems good for that. It seems good for getting people out and about. Even, I mean, there's a function where you can just listen remotely. You just drag the little Google Earth avatar man onto the, into the zones um, and listen. And I think even that's nice a nicer bit of engagement. If it was me, and I'd dragged this um, little person through through an online map and it wasn't so far away, I'd probably be pretty interested to go and do the thing in real time. Or if it was, if it was far away, but it was, you know, it was program notes about a certain benefit to being out in the environment or wild swimming in that location, then I'd be thinking to myself, well, where can I go wild swimming near me? Or where can I do this near me? So if I, I think the hope is even if they're not going out to go and experience the map, they, it might, get them out of the back. Yeah, I mean, what, the, the ones I've been involved with, it's using a different platform, I think, but you actually have to go to the place to hear the sound. And I, I thought, this is just wonderful. So it, it, people have, if you like, a curated 
sound installation that's invisible. Mm. You can't see it when you get there, but you actually have to go to this place and experience this place in order to hear the sounds and, and the sounds that have been curated for you. So I thought it's a very different way of, uh, if you like, a sound art experience that's really grounded in a specific place. And I just think that's such a, a creative and powerful approach. I was delighted to see that you, you've been doubling in that yourself. Yeah, it's good. And I like it for you can like definitely tap into some active rewilding with it. Like I was saying, I did a sound walk with bees um, where you could play the sounds of a beehive to um, a flower bed. And that was based on some research. I can't remember where from. Um, and they'd done some, done some study where they basically realised that these flowers were producing more nectar when they had these sounds played to them. Um, so, so I like cool. that. And then like you say about that one that, that I did about the abandoned chapel, again, that was, I don't know if it was in a lockdown or just in the murky bit of time between the lockdowns, mm-hmm. but it was for a concert. Um, and I thought that was a nice way of like rewilding for people in the city. Cause it, again, I was out in Todmorden going to yeah. this nice abandoned chapel in the woods. And so it was plotted there for people who could get there, but it was also plotted in running up to a chapel um, in one of the suburbs of Manchester somewhere. Yeah. Um, so that, so that the, the people in the city could, it was a bit of rewilding for them, I suppose. Really nice. That's a lovely idea. Brilliant. Well, it's been lovely to chat, Harry. Thanks so much for talking us through these uh, pieces that you've been active with. I mean, my, my final question is around what's next for you. I mean, obviously, you're, you're still in the throes of writing up your PhD. Do you have all your compositions lined up for that? Is, is that all complete? Yeah, that's all done. So they have to be, I'm in the fourth year of the, the write-up year, so the, the, the one year after the three years. So you have to do all the, all the field work, um, and compositions in the three years and then the last years just for getting the write-up uh, done and dusted. So, yeah, they're all scrolled away. Um, I have an exhibition at Dalston Head, which would be, be nice. That starts on the 9th of September or something like that, I think. Um, so, yeah, just busy composing for that. Um, Fantastic, yeah. And do you have uh, a sort of vision or a hope of where you want to take your sonic rewilding ideas in the future? Hopefully, I'd, I'd like to do some more um, commission work for a couple of years or something, and then um, I would like to to do more teaching, really, and, and hopefully some lecturing. Because, like you said, I, you know, I didn't have the uh, the information to get into it straight away. So it would be nice to try and uh, make that more available. And share, share what you've learned. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Harry. It's been fabulous to hear about your work. And uh, the very best of luck with completing your PhD and, and wherever you go in the future with your sonic rewilding. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs>